you would, grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Habakkuk. So we started last week and we, read, we studied verses 1 through 11, and so we're going to go 12 to chapter 2, verse 1 today. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net, and he makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Now Habakkuk is going to tell how he responds to all this. So I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. I want to ask you to turn to the book of Jeremiah just for a second. Please keep your place in Habakkuk. We're going to come back to that. But I want to show you something in Jeremiah that I think is important for us as we continue to go through this. Jeremiah wrote of the day that Habakkuk is speaking about and and, and wrestling with. Jeremiah chapter 25. Martha, can you get those kids? No, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's a joke, it's a joke. We like to hear kids laughing and talking. That's a good thing. That's always a great thing. So anyway, all right. So um, let me tell you just a little bit in case you're visiting today or you're a member and you weren't here last week and didn't, weren't a, didn't get an opportunity this past week to, to hear the first part last week. So what we're about to read here is that... Um, Israel has been divided into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom that consists of ten tribes. Eventually, Assyria is going to come in. God's going to use them to kind of scatter those ten tribes. So the northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Um, Habakkuk is prophesying and speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. It's two tribes. And so that's kind of what's happening. But, But there's aspects of kind of things going back and forth to these. So God has ordained um, a nation called the Chaldean people. Um, this is in northern Iraq. Um, there are still Chaldean people around uh, today. They have eventually, um, just to kind of let you know about that, they were for a very long time some of the um, great initial followers of Jesus. Um, from what we understand, Bartholomew and Jude took the gospel um, to there, and, and God did an incredible work among what's called the Chaldean people. We would call them today the Babylonian people. They would be kind of um, Iraqis in a sense. They kind of live in northern Iraq in the Kurdistan region, Syria region, a little bit west of that area. And so this group of people is being led by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, if you remember from him, from history or even reading your scripture. And they are in power and they are wreaking havoc everywhere. And God last week... Um, through Jeremiah has already said this, Jeremiah and Habakkuk would have been alive at the same time. They would have been prophesying and speaking at the same time. They probably would have known each other and crossed paths. And so God has ordained that Babylon or the Chaldean people are going to come and he's going to bring judgment upon Judah for all of their idol worship and all of the things that they've done. He's going to use them. And so Habakkuk has some big issues. He's like, I'm wrestling with this God. That, yes, we have a problem in Judah. But how are you going to use a nation that doesn't even acknowledge you to come in and to deal with your people? And so he's wrestling with that. And so he has three big complaints that he gives to God. We dealt with the first one last week. This week, it's the same one 
a little bit different um, aspect of it, but for the most part, um, kind of the same. So I wanted you to see this. They know this is coming. Jeremiah has spoken of this. So look with me, Jeremiah chapter 25, and we're going to read verse 8, uh, 8 through 13 so that you can kind of get an idea of what is happening um, and taking place here. And I've got to get back to the previous page. Here we go. So this is Jeremiah's word. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my, my servant. Look what God calls him. calls this king of the Chaldean people, my servant. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. And I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Let me just stop there for a moment. So here's what God's going to do. He's telling Habakkuk, okay, I'm going to use this group of people. They're led by Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to come in. They're going to bring judgment on you. But I want you to know this, that in time, I'm going to bring judgment upon them. So this is not some kind of haphazard thing. God has a specific design in all of it. He will use them to deal with Judah, and then he will deal um, with the Chaldean people as well. Verse 10, moreover, I will banish him from the voice of mirth, in the voice of gladness, in the voice of the bridegroom, in the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones, the light of the lamp, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste." And I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah the prophet prophesied against all the nations. So if you would, go back to Habakkuk now. I just wanted to give you that backdrop so you can kind of have an idea of what they knew was going to come and this was going to happen. So the life of Habakkuk is one of great fascination. For we looked at two weeks ago, that he, he would have grown up, he would have been born in and grown up under the leadership of King Josiah. One of the greatest kings uh, in Israel's history, either Israel or Judah. He was an incredible man. He became king at age 8 and by the time he was done, he reigned 31 years. He died in a battlefield um, from the king of Egypt. Um, but he, he had a 31-year reign where he got rid of all the idols, got rid of everything in the land, and the, the temple was restored, worship was restored, and, and God just did this great work over a 31 period of time under King Josiah's reign. King Josiah dies. Um, one of his kids named Jehoiakim comes to power. He doesn't follow what his father did, and he, he leads Israel to go back into practicing idol worship and setting up all these false places throughout the land. And so now, because of God had stayed His hand, because of the way Josiah had responded to the reading of the Word, but God's judgment was still going to come. And so Josiah's gone. Um, you've got four more bad kings that happen to take place uh, in Judah after Josiah is dead. And so now Habakkuk is here, and he's called to... to communicate to the people but he's also called to talk to God and he's wrestling with what God is doing so he's lived on both sides of things he lived when it was really really good and revival happened and now he's living under a time where everything has crumbled and everything has fallen apart and so as he cries out to God over the nation's spiritual condition it seemed to him that God was holding back his voice that God seemed to not be interested in what was happening and taking place. It seemed like God wasn't concerned for the remnant that was there that loved Him. But the reality was this, is that God was exercising what He does that we struggle with, and it is His unbelievable great patience. God is incredibly patient with the world. Just look at our world today. You would, you would think... God would just like, okay, do something, God, look what's going on. And yet God is being patient, staying His hand in many ways as more people come into the kingdom and come to faith. And so this is where Habakkuk is. He's like, we are in trouble. We've got more trouble because God has ordained that King Nebuchadnezzar, as they're sweeping across and capturing nations up in the net, they are coming our way. And so he begins to ask questions like this. 
How could God allow such sin and violence to just remain and not do anything about it? Why was God allowing the law? We talked about this last week. Why was He allowing the law and the truth of the Word to not be established once again? And so as God speaks to him and he hears from God, it causes even deeper questions in Habakkuk's life. How is God, how can God, why is God going to use a people more difficult and more sinful than Judah was, a nation called the Chaldeans who gave no recognition to God? Why would God use them to bring judgment upon his people? Two big issues that Habakkuk had. One was this. Why doesn't God deal with sin differently like the way that I want Him to deal with it? Why is God being so patient? And then today, His issue is, how could God use an unholy instrument like King Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldean people to judge His people? Now, I want to give you an update on something that you may not know, but I think it fits really well with what we are talking about here. There's been a huge study that's just been um, completed in regard to Christianity in America, um, the condition, kind of the prospects and outlook in regard um, to the future. And it's done by an organization in a group that I really um, have a lot of confidence in. It's called the Pew Institute, and they're really, really accurate in what they did. So they have, they have been doing a lot of studying and looking at things, and pretty well by the way things are going in our country They are predicting in the next 20 years, I want you to think about in the next 20 years, that the United States of America, when it is surveyed about a religious affiliation, will be under 50% claiming to be Christian. About 20 years. I read some more stuff since that came out a couple of weeks ago. And there's even a number of people who believe, who also do a lot of study in this, that we're probably already there now in practical living in regard to people not really taking their faith seriously. Every study about the church and what the church is going to be like in the future here um, seems to indicate that the church, in, in light of that, will become smaller and will need to be more of a missional movement, which we are as a church. We're very missional in our mindset and what we do. But in the next 20 years, probably there will be more pressure upon the church Many of us have been talking about this for a while. I think eventually we will lose our tax-exempt status probably um, when you get to a place of that, that, that that's a possibility that may be coming. And so in light of that, the church better be a people that knows God's Word. How do you stand and navigate in a time when, when all we've known is many, many people saying, okay, yeah, I affiliate my life with Christianity. What's it going to be like when that is not the case anymore? Movie clips with a few verses are not going to sustain the church in those days. So I believe this, that what's key is what we were learning, I think, as we walk through this. There will be things in the days ahead that we will wonder, what is God doing? And we will wrestle with those things, and we must learn like Habakkuk did is that though things may change landscape-wise, God has not changed. And His call upon us is to continue to walk in obedience and continue to submit our lives to who He is. So therefore, you need, the church will need in America, faithfulness of leadership. Not only faithfulness of leadership to the true Scripture, but faithfulness of the people who are serving and and living out their lives as the body of Christ, encouraging and building up one another, we will need to be the kind of people who uniquely stay connected together with one great main mission, and that is the glory of the Son of God, and that He is our deep passion. So again, I share that to just say this morning that Though Habakkuk was written 20, almost 2,700 years ago, just a little bit under that, it has incredible relevance for us today to understand what God is doing. So last week, Habakkuk had a lot of why questions. This week, his questions are how. So he moves from why to how is God going to do that. And so let's begin to walk through that. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? All right, let's do this. 
This is one of the most practical sermons you'll see in, in the end today to help us deal with today and what I think probably is coming. So let's read it again, 12 and 13. So his first question is, how can God, how can the Holy One use the wicked? So verse 12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them, speaking to the Chaldean people, as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot, look at wrong, and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So let me give you the principle here, and here, here it is that we need to learn that as things continue the way they are, or some other issue arises in our family, or maybe something that might arise in life points future in the days ahead, how do we respond when it looks like God's being silent, it looks like a judgment's coming, it looks like a difficulty's coming, what do we need to do? And in the midst of that, we are confused. Here's, here's a back issue. He knows who God is, and He knows, according to what the Scripture says, about how God acts, and yet He's kind of got, got a God box. You ever had a God box? We got this box, and, and God's got to fit neatly inside, and, and if God kind of steps outside of that, we're just like, whoa, God, you're, you're supposed to just do what I want you to do, and you're supposed to fit neatly inside this, and this is Habakkuk. He just can't understand. How can God use a people like the Chaldean people? who give no recognition to God to come in and bring judgment upon His people. So if we ever get to that place, we're like, God, what are you doing? What have you done? What is coming, God, and what do we do? Here's what Habakkuk does, and here's what we must do. So let me summarize it, and then we're going to walk through it. He takes a step back. What's he been doing? He's been consumed looking at the issue. What's the issue? God's going to use the Chaldean people to bring judgment. And he's just been staring at it. And he doesn't understand how can God do that. So he takes a step back away from the problem. And notice what he does here. What does he begin to do? He begins to affirm what about God? Certain characteristics about God that he knows to be true. Here's what you and I must do. If in the days ahead things do fall apart here, if in your life things get rough for, for whatever the case may be, one of the most practical things that we can do is to take a step back, take our eyes off of the issue, take our eyes off of the problem, because if all we ever do is look at the problem, then we're going to get depressed and sad and all of that. So we take a step back and we turn. I, I'm just going to do this as an example. We take a step back from the problem and we turn and look at the cross. We we remember who God is, what He has done, how He has revealed Himself, what He has said. And this is what Habakkuk does here. He's like, God, are you not from everlasting? I know this to be true about you. And this is what we must do. We must, when our feet are unsteady, And we don't know what to do. We need to get our feet where? To a steady place. So his feet are unsteady. He doesn't understand how God's about to work with the Chaldean people. And they're going to march into Jerusalem. And they're going to siege Jerusalem. We didn't didn't read this verse because I ran out of time last week. I don't know if you knew this. Sometimes the pastor here is really long-winded. Really long-winded. And so I had to skip a couple verses last week. But here's what they did. When they would march into the nations... Nebuchadnezzar told the people, some of you are just going to carry a bucket. Some of you are going to carry a spear. Some of you are going to carry a sword and a bucket. But everybody's going to have a bucket. So when they came to cities that had walls, every person would put in their bucket dirt. They would go up to the wall and they would dump their dirt out at the wall and they would build up ground to where they could just march in over the walls and into the city. And that's there in Habakkuk chapter 1 that speaks about that. So Habakkuk is 
God, I, I, I'm wrestling with this. And so what I know I've got to do is I've got to take a step back and I've got to go back and I need to remind myself of what I know to be true about you. Are y'all with me? Do we not need to do that? The, the, the safest ground that we can get to is to go back to what we know to be true about God's nature that has been revealed to us in the Scripture. So let's look at what he does here. He does, first of all, he affirms the eternal nature of God. God, are you not from everlasting? That means this. God is prehistory. And if he's prehistory, then he's in charge of history. He's in charge of the unfolding of everything. So he was, he was existent before anything was. He is continuing to be in charge of everything that is. And so Habakkuk knows this. I've got to take a step back. There's a momentary leader that has risen up named Nebuchadnezzar in this nation. And yet my God is before him. And so I'm going to step back and I'm going to affirm and I'm going to remind myself that my God is everlasting. My God is eternal. He is not like Nebuchadnezzar. He is more powerful than the Chaldean people. And so by coming back to this truth, he reminds himself that God is even different than the gods that the Babylonian people and the Chaldean people are worshiping. So he says, God, you are from everlasting. The second thing that he says there, and note this, notice the personal pronouns. Never miss these simple words there. Oh, Lord, my God. He hasn't lost his faith, even though this is coming. And so he's like, God, you are eternal in nature. And you are, you are the all-powerful one. And you are my God. And so Elohim is the word that's used here. He's the God of power. He's the, the God of strength. And so he places and reminds himself, I must place my faith in God because that gets me to solid ground. And so he takes a step back, looks away from the problem. He affirms the eternal nature of God. He affirms that God is his God and he's the most high God. And thirdly, he has to remind himself that as he looks all around in Judah, all he sees is sin and and immorality and idolatry and all of these things. And so he's got to look away from that and he's got to be reminded that God is not like what I see. God is holy. He is righteous. And so he takes a step back and he affirms the holiness of God. God is separate from his creation and us. We are sinful. He's different than us. His word and his ways are holy and righteous and they are perfect. We are sinful. God is altogether holy. And he knows that God's holiness and standing upon God's holiness is the answer and is the foundation for believers in their lives. And because God is holy, listen to this, because God is holy, he can only do what is right and good. So therefore, even though God's allowing this to come, it is going to be good Because God is altogether righteous. He's not sinful, nor does He tempt us with evil or sin. And so God will do His work and good will come. So again, let's note where He is. Takes His eyes off the problem. He knows I've got to go back. And I've got to embrace the things that I know to be true about God. God's eternal. He's my God. He's the most high God. He is holy. And then he says this phrase. Look at the end of verse 12 or in the middle of verse 12. He says, we shall not die. Now listen, a lot of people are going to die. So what is he talking about here? Here's what he's saying. We are God's covenant people. God is... We've not been faithful, but God's going to be what? Faithful. So even in the midst of that, he's like, I'm going to give affirmation, Lord. We shall not die. You're not going to wipe your covenant people completely off of the earth. And so he stands on God's faithfulness. That's the fourth thing that he stands on. And he's thinking back. There's no doubt about this. He's thinking back that God is a God of promises. Psalm 95 says this. The Lord, um, He is our God. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hands. So we are His. We have not been faithful. 
but He is faithful. And so therefore, I've got to take, a, take my eyes off this issue of what's coming. And I've got to get back to the place where I know this. My God is faithful. And even as God disciplined them, He would remain faithful to them even in the midst of that. So behind the promises of God, listen to this, behind the promises of God always stands the character of God. So what God says is grounded in who He is, that He is righteous, that He is faithful, that He is holy, He is eternal, He is almighty. And so Habakkuk stands on that promise. He's got to get back to it. He's not going to forget His promises to His people. His covenant to us means that He will not break His word to us. And again, we talked about this last week, and and sorry if I bring it up again. I know we don't like the word COVID, but there's the word COVID again. But I want you to listen to this. We've been through a really difficult time the world has. Lots of death, lots of fear, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff. And if God predates the world, and He's the God of history, He has been active over the last two and a half years. He will continue to be active in the days ahead. And He will continue to be faithful to His people. And we can trust Him. Even in the midst of the days where things seem so unsteady. We, listen, are secure for one reason only. Not because we have any great status, but because our God is the most high God. And that's where we stand. So Habakkuk says, God, you are from everlasting. You are the Lord my God. You are the most high God. You are the God of power. You are the God of strength. You are the Holy One. God, you're the faithful one. We will not die. And then he comes to the end of verse 12 and he says, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, speaking of the Chaldeans, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. So here now he affirms that God is a rock. On Facebook Marketplace, such a black hole sometimes for our lives. There's this person in McKinney who has this giant rock in their backyard that they, I think, probably brought in um, before their house was done. Some big tractor brought it in, and they don't want it there anymore. But it's one of those cool rocks that you can sit on. And I've wanted it, and I've contacted the people, and, and nobody, nobody has come to pick it up because it's stuck in this small backyard of these people's there because the rock is immovable. It's been there for about nine months. I looked this week. It's still there. I could go get it. And I'm not convinced looking at the men in the room that we could pick it up. Um, You would need some gigantic machine to be able to get it. Listen to this, folks. Habakkuk's at a hard place. And yet he takes a step back and he he remembers, my God is immovable. So I, I, I can have a confidence, even though what's coming is coming, I can have a confidence because my God is a rock. And He's immovable. He is steady. And He will always do things in line with His Word, fulfilling His promises in everything in regard to who He is. Get back to the rock of truth and stand upon that reality. So that's what Habakkuk does. In the midst of his confusion, knowing what's coming, he goes back to what he knows is true, even though he's confused. What a great lesson for us to remember. Now look at verse 13. Here's the second question. How can God just sit idly by, though, and be silent and watch what is happening and taking place? Let's read 13 again. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. So he he gets back to the right place and yet he's still struggling. You can hear it there. I'm still wrestling with this. I know I've got to get back. I've got to remind myself in the midst of my confusion 
That you are bigger than what's coming. You are greater than that. But he still has a question. God, how, how can you allow this? How can you really do this to allow such an evil people to come? In our day, we may ask questions like this. Why the rise of progressive Christianity that has made a mockery of solid doctrine in the church? Why such neglect of the Word of God among deeply educated people who claim to know the Lord, and yet they don't know anything about the Scripture? God, will you do something about that? Some people ask the question, God, why do evil people become so prominent and successful? Just like Nebuchadnezzar, they're just sweeping across that part of the world. God, why do we pray for revival and we don't see it? Why does there seem to be less courage among God's people to stand for righteousness and speak and live wherever they go and whatever's happening? And so even in this new struggle where he's like, I don't, I don't get it why this traitorous people are coming. He does the same thing he does in the first point. He's got to go back to the character of God. And so he reminds himself, you have the most pure eyes. And I know that to be true about you. And yet I'm wrestling with that you seem to be seeing this evil people march toward your covenant people. So he knows God has the purest of eyes and does not look at sin. But why is he just seem to be sitting by idly while a group of people who betray God in religion and mockery and words and worship come to swallow up the righteous remnant. So let me bring it home for a second. We have a hard time understanding this. But it would be like this. I don't know who the most godly preacher, pastor, person in America is today, only God, whatever, not that we should even do that, but let's just do it for a second. Whoever that person is, that we would all go, yeah, that, that, that person, they get the scripture, they walk with God, they lead God, they walk with God to begin to say to America, Iran is coming and is going to take most of the people in America and is going to take us and we're going to go and live in Iran for 70 years. Some of you are not going to get married. Some of you are going to die because of that. This is what's going to happen. God's going to allow Iran to come in and capture us and take us away and we will be gone for 70 years. I say that to say this. This is what the people in Judah are contemplating. 70 years is a long time. It's a lifetime. For most people. And the change that's going to come is overwhelming. And so you can understand Habakkuk's issue of, God, I know that you have the most pure eyes of anyone. You, you are that. And yet we are seeing and hearing an unrighteous people march straight to your covenant people. Many of us would say, wait, Lord, wait, 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 Lord. Come on, pause things. Can't there be another cure for our country than allowing somebody like that to permeate our land and take us away? God, can't you chart another course? And I believe in taking this step, it seems to Habakkuk that the Babylonians, he's kind of saying this, they're going to end up getting more glory about this, God, than than you would if you rescued us right now. Because they're going to come in. They worship their might. They worship their army. And they literally did that. When you look at ancient documents and, and pictures of the Chaldean Babylonian people, they, they, um, many of their, four of their main gods that the Chaldeans worshipped, the pictures that were painted with them, they had a dragnet with them. Like you would throw a net out there to capture animals. They are painted with those things because that's what they did. They just swept through places and capture the places, and they worship their might. They worship their gods that they said were backing them and leading them into all of this. And so Habakkuk, again, is just wrestling with an ungodly people, an ungodly instrument that is coming in. And all through this letter, we see that he cannot overcome as of yet what he knew to be true about God's nature, and yet what God had said he's going to do 
in his plans. That was his issue. And so I want to remind us, we've moved to the next point of this. When those moments happen, who needs to change, God or us? We. We adjust to God's word. We don't ask God to adjust to our plans and what we want. If he is he who has the most pure eyes and he is all holy and he is eternal, everything he does and everything that he allows, though we may not understand it, it's come from his intention that this will be good leading to the return of Jesus. Jesus Christ is coming back. And everything that God is doing is leading to that destination. So he's like, how can you idly sit by and be silent? Now look at 14 and 15. Here's the third question. How can God just let the wicked capture the righteous? So he says, God, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And now he's going to go back to Nebuchadnezzar in 15. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. So now we move to a little bit new perspective from Habakkuk as he ponders the Babylonians in the manner in which they will come and capture God's people. He says, Lord, it's kind of like all of us are just like wild animals out there. And we're just easy prey for someone to come in, throw a net out there, you know, get a hook, throw it in the water, and, and put a worm on it, and, and fish are easily caught, animals are easily caught. We just seem to be kind of like that. So when people like Nebuchadnezzar come along, they just throw out their net, and they capture people, and they capture things, and, 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 and it looks like that the evil people are winning. And they're capturing the righteous people, and... And, and, and so, God, what, what's up with that? What are, you, what are you doing? What are you allowing? And so as he took it all in, he asked the Lord, why will he allow his people to be caught and go away into captivity? This phrase in verse 15, um, this, is what, this is what they did. So when they would come in, when the Chaldean people would come in and they would capture people and they led them away, and I'm just going to be honest this morning, they would take fish hooks and rope and they would string through the mouth of the people like you do with a stringer of fish and they would tie the people that way and they would march to their captivity as slaves. So that's the reference there. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. That was the work that they did. So he says he brings them all up with a hook and he drags them out with this net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. So the prophet just thinks about the reality of what is coming and he's like, God, how can you let this happen with the righteous? His fourth how question is this and then we're going to get extremely practical. Look at 16 and 17. Therefore, he's speaking of them, says, he sacrifices to his net. What are they doing? If you sacrifice to your net, what are you doing? You're worshiping it. So they would do this. You can, you can see this with the ancient Chaldean and Babylonian people. They worship their nets. There's a group of people, if you remember through history, called the Scythians. You know what they had? You know what they worship? Their swords. That's how they did battle. That's how they dealt with things. And so, so the Babylonian people worshiped their net, in a sense, of their might. The Scythians worshiped their sword. And so he's like, God, they, they are sacrificing. They are worshiping their nets. As they, as they come in here. And they're making offerings to their dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, just capturing things. And Nebuchadnezzar is getting richer and richer and more powerful. His food is getting better and better and better. And yet your people, even the remnant people, are going to be taken away into captivity. And then he says, God, why is he just emptying his net and emptying his net, capturing, emptying, and capturing, emptying, and, and mercilessly killing nations forever so here's here's the reality and i I know we we get this if we just fixate our gaze on our problem 
then it seems like that there's never going to be a solution. That there's never going to be an off-ramp. There's never going to be a way off. And this is where Habakkuk is. So how do God's people, in moments like that, properly respond and get back on steady ground? So let's talk about that now in chapter 2, verse 1. How are we to wait for an answer in God's deliverance? So Habakkuk goes straight to God, lets his heart be known to God, wrestling with it. He's he's gone back to what he knows to be true. It's the only way that's going to give him perspective in regard to what is coming. So how do we wait for an answer? Chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read it again, please. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. There are some incredible good lessons here. In regard to how do we respond in moments that are overwhelming and we're just not sure what God's doing. It just doesn't seem like God to be allowing something like this to happen. So this is a lesson, what we're about to see here, designed to help us solve big questions in a biblical manner, which is very important for our faith and the stability of our faith. Let me remind us, God does not shake at our questions. You think eternal God, we come to Him and shake our fist to Him. He's like, oh, sorry, I'll back off. God invites our honesty. And when we come, even though, even though we don't understand things, I think we ought to come with Him with our big questions. I think, I think we ought to come better than Habakkuk comes. I think we should come in humility, even when we don't understand what God is up to. There should be a heart of humility in regard to that. So how can He have faith? How can you and I have faith and not doubt He still has some doubts. He's misunderstanding and not understanding what God is up to and what's happening here. Here's the hardest issue that we face. Waiting on God. Waiting. Many of us are like God, like Habakkuk in chapter 1, where he's like, Lord, I've been crying out to you. I've been crying out to you. I I have pleaded with you to do something, and it just seems like you're not listening and you're not hearing me. And, I, and so I, I, I've been crying out and, and he's having to wait. This is ultimately the real big issue that takes place in our lives is at times we cry out to God grounded in what we know to be true about him, what we know to be true in his word. And he's continuing to ask us to wait. I read the stories of parents pleading with God for decades over their wayward children and just pleading. And there's no guarantee about this. I think you know this. Christianity is not, I just do this, do this, do this, and just everything turns out okay. We are to do this and do this and do this and do this, and sometimes people just do their own thing. And it becomes a, Difficult thing in our life. I have been there. You have been there. Crying out to God for Him to intervene. And we have to wait. And we wait. And that's the hard part. But let me give you three things that I think are really, really important here. We don't know where Habakkuk went, but he says there, I'm going to go take my stand. Note that he doesn't go, I'm going to go hide myself away. I'm going to get on an island. But sometimes we say this, oh, I just wish I could go to an island and get away from it all and not have to talk to anybody, see anybody. Well, that's not life and that's not reality. And so we don't go hide ourselves. And he doesn't do that. He does this, I'm going to go away. But as I go away, I'm not going to hide. I'm going to stand what does that mean? He, he means this, that the posture of my life 
in the midst of my questions about God and who He is and, and what He says He's going to do, and I don't understand it, I am going to do this. I'm going to seek a place, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to stand in that place, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to pray. The key is to back away again from the problem, get somewhere, stand, listen for God to speak and to clarify and to bring perspective into the midst of our lives. So the first thing I would encourage you to do, and and for myself to do, that when these moments arise in our lives, go stand somewhere at a watch post. What is a watch post? You're on duty, right? That's not one of those things where, okay, I'm just going to go away and, 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 and just hide away and live in a monastery somewhere. No, you stand at your post in your faith and you watch. At a watch post, you watch. That's what that means. So back it goes and he stands and he watches and he waits. The point of this book is not about complaining to God. The point of this book is getting to a place of trusting in God when we are confused a bit about what God is up to. Christ followers must be willing to wait and be patient and not rush away as we wait. So the first thing we've got to do, Habakkuk teaches us in these kind of moments, we seek a place to wait and pray. We had a bunch of kids all at one time almost it felt like. Everybody in the house was wearing diapers. I was thinking about wearing diapers as well because of what was going on, just the difficulty of that stage of life and stress of job and life. And so I went to the senior pastor. I was a student minister at a church. And, and I went to the pastor and I said, I said, what do you do to deal with stress? What do you do to deal with stuff? And he said, I have a dumping tree. I thought, what? He said, on my way home, I learned this years ago that I drove by this same tree every day. And when I had stuff that was overwhelming and I knew, let's be honest, we bring things home that affect our families. So he said, I learned to do this. Somebody told me, and so I'm going to pass it on to you. I would park my car, I would get out of it, and I would go to that tree in that park, and I would dump out the stuff there, and then I would get back in my car and I would go home. And start, I started practicing that. That when I had a moment like that, and on the way home, we lived on a street called Beaverhead Road in Fort Worth. And I would stop at this park, and I would go over to this tree, and I would dump the stuff out there. Picturing in my mind, I've got to leave this here with God. I wasn't giving it to the tree. I was giving it to God right there, and it became a sacred space that nobody else in the park knew about, but it was a sacred space for me where I would dump things there. So when you and I have these kind of moments, we need to do that. That's what Habakkuk did. Do you all hear his overwhelming name? He's overwhelmed. He's like, I don't know what to do about this. I know it's true. I know that God's going to do this, and yet I know this about God, and, and I'm wrestling with it, and yet I'm going to take my stand, and I'm going to wait, and I'll pray. Secondly, note what he says there in the second part of verse 1. And I'm going to look out to see what God will say to me. We find the direction for our lives by reading the Scripture. The answers that we need for our life, they are here. This is where they are. So Habakkuk is, I'm going to go take my stand. I'm going to watch. I'm not just retreating. I'm going to stand. I'm going to have as best I can have my faith alive looking to God, but I'm going to wait because I need God to speak to me to bring clarity in regard to where I am right now. And I bet in this room this morning that there are many of us who have questions like that of God. God, I've been crying out for you for years in regard to the direction of my family, my marriage, my my bad spending habits, whatever the case may be in our lives. And I've been crying out to you. And I want to encourage us this morning to do this. We need to see what God says about those things. And that's what Habakkuk does. I've got to hear from God about this. So he takes his stand and he's going to wait to hear from the Lord. 
We are to commit everything to the Lord. Get alone and give it to Him. Put our face in this book and read it. Lastly, ESV doesn't do this verse as good a justice as it could uh, with the original Hebrew meaning. So it says this, And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Let me tell you what the Hebrew says. I'm going to watch and wait for your answer, God. And when you answer, this is literally what it says, and when you answer, I am going to see how silly all my questions to you are in comparison to who you really are. He's basically taking this thing. I'm going to go take my stand. I'm going to listen to you speak. And when you speak, I'm going to realize that all of my questioning of you was silly because I will realize in that moment that you are in charge of things and, you, and I'm okay because I know you, I, I walk with you and I, I love you and, and everything's going to be okay. He's basically saying this, I know that I'm going to have a Job moment where God's going to come and say, buckle up big boy, I've got some things to say to you as, with all your questions about me. And I love this, listen to that. We need to be that kind of people. We will have questions about God's working. And yet as we wait, we wait in a heart of humility to say this, I know in these moments right now it's more me than it is anything about your word and your character and what you're going to do. And so even as I make these complaints, I know that eventually you're going to clarify this and I'm going to look back on it and go, how silly was that moment that I didn't really trust in what you were doing. We need to be ready to say, I was wrong, God, in my questioning of you and what you do. So let me give you a couple of takeaways this morning. Take every bit of our issues to our friends first. Don't write that down. Take every one of our issues where? To God. Even our hard questions, our deepest doubts, the shaky foundation that we know we're, we're standing in and living in in the moment, take them to God and take them to God and be honest and humble as you take them to God. That's what Habakkuk, he's not doing it perfectly, but he is going to the right place. Secondly, in times of spiritual confusion about who God is, Go back to what we know is true of God. Cling to what we know is true of God. Make our stand on what we know to be true of God. Quit trying, all of us, quit trying to quit to figure everything out. We are not. We are not going to figure everything out. So sometimes, I believe this, that in our last breath when we leave this planet, we are not going to have all of our questions answered. Nothing gets totally fixed until we stand in His presence and our salvation is complete. So sometimes we may live decades and years wrestling with questions and having to trust that He's good and He's going to take care of things. So we need to quit trying to figure it all out and to, to fix everything. By the way, can I point the, to your attention to this again? If we could have fixed everything, was this necessary? The cross was nex- necessary because we can't fix anything. But He can. He can. Thirdly, we must embrace a heart of willful and intentional waiting. Set up a watchtower. Go to it. Literally go to it. Find a place in your garage. Find a place in your backyard. Find a place in a closet. Find a place somewhere else where you can go and take a stand and wait and pray Read 
and wait for the Lord to confirm things. We need to learn to wait. Some of you aren't going to listen to me at all. You're going you're to be at a restaurant an hour from now. And in your spirit, you're going to be mad that that cook back there at Sonic is not getting the stuff out to your car fast enough. We've got to be willing to learn to wait. And I want to be real blatantly honest this morning. We will spend the rest of our lives waiting. Because for the rest of our lives, not everything here is going to get fixed and nor is it going to be perfect. So we need to learn to wait and trust that, that there's just going to remain some tension on some of the issues in our life. And that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians, when he pleaded with the Lord three times, God, can you not take this away from me? Paul, who could do miracles, asked the Lord, he, he couldn't fix himself, And he asked the Lord three times, I pleaded with the Lord three times that he would do this. And finally God says, Paul, stop. My grace is sufficient for you. And so sometimes we just have to get to that place where, God, I don't understand, but your grace is sufficient. Fourthly, and we'll see this more next week, um, verse 2 gives, God begins to give answer to his complaints and his questions. But I'll just say this, his word always has the answer that we need. And God's going to give it to Habakkuk next week. He's been waiting, he's been crying out to the Lord and God's going to give him some deeper direction next week beginning in chapter 2, verse 2. We act sometimes, let's just be honest, as as if we don't have answers from God. And we do. We do. We have answers from God. This sacred book addresses and deals with anything that would ever arise in our lives. At times the real issue is that we don't like the answers we get. And again, that, that, that's a time where we adjust to God's answer. Lastly, So the first one was take all of our issues to the Lord. And I'll just say this last one, fully commit the issue to God. Commit it to Him. Don't just take it, but commit it to Him. Leave it with Him. On my Spotify, I'm going to speak of my age now a little bit. I've gone back to making a big long list of some of the great Christian songs that nobody would be interested in anymore from the 70s and the 80s. Benny Hester, Keith Green, and a number. So I've got, I've got about 55 songs in, in this thing. And I was listening to one of the songs last night as I was walking back through the notes and praying about today. And one of the lines said this. Um, it's from a guy named Billy Sprague. He was one of my favorite guys. He said, tie your shoes and press on. Tie your shoes and press on. Great wisdom in that. We will face things that at times we'll just do like this to God. God, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But I'm going to tie my shoes today and I'm going to press on. God, I'm crying out to you again today. That was Monday, you know, I did that and I tied my shoes and pressed on and it's Wednesday and I'm still crying out to you and, and so we tie our shoes and we press on. Why do we do that? Because when we do go back and we remember who He really is, when we've forgotten it and it's dripped out of our brain and we remember how everlasting, how righteous, how holy, how good He is, we are reminded He can be trusted. He can be trusted. So today I just want to remind us of that. Our God can be trusted today. Right now in this moment, even when we don't have an answer, He can be trusted. You know what God's going to do eventually? And He's 
been at work at it a lot. God's, God's still going to take care of these people that had been so rebellious against Him that the ten tribes were cast away and they were gone. And, and God knows where all of them are and all of that stuff. And He's going he's gonna to do an incredible work. He has everything in His hands. He has the whole world in His hands. That's who He is. Let's pray.